Welcome to Board Game Binge. The place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Paul Spencer from Play for Keeps Games. Play for Keeps is currently running a Kickstarter for My Favorite Things and the String Railway. Paul, welcome to the binge. How are you doing, sir? Hey, man. Yeah, good to join you. <laughs> it's great to have you. And I love the background. My gosh, this is like, it's like we're in an episode of The Simpsons or something, right? Yeah, this was my uh, lockdown background for all my Zoom calls. So I've just kind of maintained it. <laughs> Uh, super cool. Uh, so uh, we don't know each other. Uh, this was kind of a last minute arrangement. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, so a lot of my questions are just going to be to try to figure out who you are as a person. So <laughs> let's just start uh, first. I'm going to get you to shift a little bit to your left just uh, so that we're within the frame. Oh, let's go the other way. Oh, other way. The other way. There you go. Perfect. Okay. That way we got you for our TikTok audience as well. Um, so let's start off with, uh, so play for keeps games. There's, I believe, three of you that run this company, right? Correct. Yeah. So we we started the company just before lockdown. Great time to start a company. Uh, obviously, we didn't know there was going to be a global pandemic going on. But uh, yeah, it's myself. Uh, I take care of all the boring stuff, I like to say. Um, so I do deal with mostly like talking to the manufacturing, uh, talking to fulfillment companies, uh, talking to our accountant, that kind of stuff. And then uh, there's Archie, who does all of our graphic design and has done all the artwork for our game so far. And then we have uh, Anthony, who deals with all the sort of development of the games. Um, he's worked in industry for ages and knows uh, way more about sort of, you know, thinking in the minds of the gamer way more than I do. So, you know, we've all got our specialisms and we kind of nicely complement each other. Uh, doesn't mean that we always see eye to eye, but certainly um, it means we've all got something to bring to the table. So that's the plan. Yeah. I, often when I talk to people, it's funny. It's It's all a matter of perspective as to what uh people find like the fun stuff and what people find the stressful stuff right so i imagine uh in operations this is probably the fun stuff for you and probably the not so fun stuff is like the social media and things like that is that is that fair oh yeah 100 i hate marketing um i just I want to keep as far away from that as possible. Uh, yeah, like my, my day job is um, I'm a producer for a video games company. So oh, nice. spreadsheets, roadmaps, that's my jam. If I can fix it with a spreadsheet, I will. Um, so that's, yeah, that's that's kind of where I come in 100%. Um, yeah, and it's, it's worked out well so far. Uh, certainly, you know, this campaign has done really well for us. Um, you know, our, our first game was... You know, just us trying to prove ourselves. We learned a lot of lessons. And I think that's kind of bore fruit with this campaign. So yeah, really happy with how it's gone so far. Where, where'd you guys meet? So how did the three of you guys initially kind of connect? Oh, well, normally I say that that requires a, a drink to get to that conversation, <laughs> but I'll uh, I'll let you in. Uh, so yeah, so I mean, it's, it's probably uh, one of those stories that we're a little bit uh, bonded by trauma in some sense. Uh, so we all met working for another board game company called Inside the Box, who did uh, Subterra. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. heard of that. Um, so we all met there and we all kind of decided that we really liked each other. We liked working together, but maybe some other structural changes needed to happen at that, that company. So we all left kind of within the space of sort of six months to a year of each other, that company. Um, and it took us a few years to kind of regroup, come back together. Um, and that, yes, yeah, so that's where, that's where we all met. We all kind of appreciated what we could bring to the table and we all thought, yeah, we can work together. Um, so let's give it a go. Let's go for it. 
Uh, certainly lessons have been learned along the way about, you know, some assumptions about going into that, or maybe we should have done a bit more planning beforehand, but yeah. you know, yeah. those are lessons you learn. And like, I, I, you know, to some degree, we're actually just being three of us that for a lot of board game companies, they are just like one person, one man bands. Yep. So even just three of us is more than most companies at this stage, even though obviously we're not like earning any money from it as yet. Yeah. It's still a case of like, we're still, bigger than a lot of people in that respect, which is a little bit odd, but it also means that like, you know, generally that tension hashing things out, I'm certainly one strong believer in like, my idea is never the best, it's stronger by presenting that idea to the group, getting feedback, iterating on it. So I'm 100% like for that. And I think that's, that's how we do end up with our best ideas and get things to the stage that they are. We have iterated on so much stuff, like little things you wouldn't even really notice, um, but like things that we had like, massive discussions about like icon sizes icon shapes all this kind of stuff oh, yeah. that, you know if you're a player you don't notice it because we got it right um and it takes you know some of that stuff can have like be long ongoing conversations that take months to resolve and you realize oh it was just like this simple thing that we didn't think of initially but yeah um it's yeah that's <laughs> sorry i've kind of really that's got okay no i imagine there's like a bit of a shorthand you guys would establish from your prior relationship as well right and i think that would probably be a massive asset coming in to just say okay i know kind of the strengths and weaknesses of each of these these uh these players in this and you know knowing that going in and not having to figure that out is i would say uh, a plus that's a huge plus right so um and you, you talk about like icons and things like that what I find amazing is sometimes I'll be talking with a colleague of mine about something like that, about like a, like a, maybe an icon or, or a certain shape or just the way something's presenting on a page. And what I always find cool is when they explain the, why is this important? You know, like it could be something that 99% of the people aren't even going to notice, right? They're not even going to care. Like it's not, it's going to go over the head, but the 1%, including the person that's, that's doing it, there's a reason why, why you do it. Right. And, um, and, and, and getting to those kind of nuances are, I, I kind of geek out over those conversations because I like to learn as much as I can. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. It's kind of been a bit of a, like, uh, ethos as, as we've yeah. grown and learned working with each other, it, I kind of, we've kind of honed in on like what we're trying to achieve as a company. Yeah. And like a lot of that is to kind of try and buck some of the trends in like, modern gaming that have become a bit of tropes like hey we're on kickstarter here's a giant box that's like 200 dollars with hundreds of minis and like yeah. you know if the, the box is full of air like we're trying to like really go counter to that and like mm-hmm. our games focus on like interactivity with players you know something that's deemed almost like old school like some games are a bit vicious like um but not in a kind of like take that way in a kind of like oh if i do this move this will impact other players like positively or negatively, like that interaction is like really important to us. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I say, like trying to buck those trends. So like we don't do like, you know, just, you know, extra miniature stretch goal kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We're kind of like focused on like what actually adds value to the game, keeps that game like fresh for longer for people, yeah. you know, things that, you know, really what we want is we want to create games that have a life past kickstar and in a way we're quite old school with that like we're using kickstar because we don't have the funds to manufacture these things yes it's partly a marketing thing but also like we genuinely need your money so like if we don't get it these things do not happen and we want these things to happen because 
you know, particularly with the new games, like these are licenses that we got. Like we think these are games that people will enjoy. And, you know, that's that's built into the brand name, right? Like play for keeps. Like we want you to keep these games. We don't want you to like buy this $200 box that you have for like six months on your shelf. Don't play it, get rid of it. Like we want yeah. you to have games that you keep in your bag, that you show your friends, that you play with people and like they have a really good time. And, you know, that's something I always enjoy about games is that, you know, sometimes it's not in the game you have the conversation but it's afterwards you talk about it and you're like oh do you remember when this thing happened that was crazy like oh that was so good can't wait to play that game again that's the kind of experience we want you to have and i know that might sound a bit like lofty and like abstract but like i think that's something that like there's a pure joy of board gaming about just sitting around a table with a group of friends and just like experiencing something for the first time and then something wild happening that you know wouldn't have happened if you hadn't been playing this game. Like this game has provided you that access, that opportunity. Like I always think this is how I justify board gaming to myself is like, you know, I, I'm a massive like impulse purchaser. Like that's the joke. <laughs> that's the joke with, with my, like my board gaming friends is that like, I'll get suckered in by like an IP or something that's flashy. But like the way I justify board gaming and my spending on board gaming is, you know, studies have shown that like money spent on experiences is way more rewarding than money spent just on like objects. But I'm like, board games are both. <laughs> so yeah. like, I have something cool, but also like, we can experience this and we can like that value proposition of like, I've spent $20, $30 on a game that I've had like hours and hours of fun with. Like, where else can you get that value proposition? Like, that's, that's so good to me. Like, I really appreciate that. And like, certainly like price point is something we're really conscious of. Like, box size is something we're really conscious of you know the components is something we're really conscious of like we want to make sure that like i say we're adding function thinking of the gameplay experience first we don't want to like do anything that actually makes the game harder to play because there's so yeah. many games these days that i've played where like you think oh actually why have they made this decision i don't fully understand that going back to what you were saying about like understanding the why like sometimes like we've played games where we've just questioned like why did they make this decision this doesn't seem to make sense to us like yeah. this doesn't actually add value this takes away from the experience they've made something more difficult like less intuitive than it could have been if it was like stripped back a bit more simple more refined like you know i'm a big like nintendo fan like you know mario stuff like that that's like i mean it's easier said than done this is what my boss always says it's like you know uh easy to play difficult to master is like hard to achieve right like it's yeah. it's like it sounds so simple but it's like taking stuff away can be just as important if not more important than adding stuff and oh, like yeah. that's a really hard lesson to learn and like you know that will so depend on like what the product is that you're trying to make what the game is that you're trying to make like i think that's the important like lens i always try to put on as well is like think about the product don't just think about like the game oh this would be cool for this game yeah but like as a product decision does it make sense is this something that people are going to like vibe with long term well, there's two things I want to jump in there on. One is it sounds like uh, you guys have a very good handle on what company you want to be and the types of products that you make. And I think it's so important for um, publishers or even new game designers who are you know, maybe launching their first game is to just take a step back and say, okay, what is it that I want to create on uh, as a whole across my portfolio? What What do I stand for as a company? And because that will help you later on really uh, with that filter of, okay, you can't, you want to do everything, right? Because I think most board gamers just, I mean, you get excited by everything around you. So it's like, I want to do it all, but you got to be able to cut it somewhere, right? 
And I started doing this even as a company and going to game conventions where I would have designers come up to me and say, hey, are you taking submissions? And I'd say, yes, but here's the criteria of what, what we stand for as a company, right? So that that's our first filter. And it doesn't matter if this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. If it doesn't fit kind of the tenets that we've established as a company, um, you know, I'll, I'll have to refer you to somebody else and I'll be a backer. You know, I'll, I'll be the one of the first ones to buy it but it's got to fit within our current portfolio because I need to know that when people are back in my games and I'm trying to bring that audience over from game to game, they know what to expect, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing you mentioned, I think, which is important is that uh, this idea of stripping things out, right? And I'm a big fan of this. And, you know, we're working on a few games with, uh, with some colleagues and some designers. And we often have this discussion where the tendencies for the designer to want to put more in, right? So let me add more. I think I can make this even more detailed. I think we can make it even more nuanced. And I always kind of defer back to, no, we got to pull it, peel it back. I want to know what is the core of this game? What is the one or two things that I got to do? Three things tops I got to do in this game. We got to polish and nail that first. And then we can kind of build up and add more kind of icing to the cake afterwards. But if the cake itself isn't solid, we're going to have a mess at the end of the day, right? So those are kind of the two things I just want to kind of tag in on uh, on those two comments. Um, so with this particular campaign uh, that you're running, uh, it is a uh, is very interesting. Congrats! I mean, you guys are funding very very well. I'm going to get into it. So I'm going to show the page that people are watching in a second. Um, but the first game you launched was a game you guys created, right? And now you've made this the shift to now publishing um, other titles and doing uh, like reprints and so forth. Can you talk a little bit about that decision and and, and why you guys went in that direction? Yeah, so I won't give you the full long version. We'll go for the medium version. But uh, essentially, when we first got together, what we thought was like, you know, let's, we're a talented group. Let's make a game by ourselves. Like, that'll be easy, right? We can do that. We'll nail that. So we spent a year doing that. And then we kind of sat down one day and we realized this game that we're working on isn't very fun. Like, we haven't made something that's that interesting. Um, it's called Bizarre Bazaar. We had, like, a few iterations that we took to, like, conventions. And, like, we didn't really get any buzz. People kind of were okay with it. But, like, it was kind of like a riff on Fantasy Realms, if, you, if you've played Fantasy Realms. That was the kind of the idea. And we were mm -hmm. trying to, like, kind of take it a little step up. But essentially, we still wanted to do something that was, like, for our first project that was, like, simple, easy to manufacture, that we could just kind of prove ourselves with. Um so we kind of sat down and we thought like, this is, this isn't working. What do we do? And we were like, well, we want to be a publisher. So why aren't we looking for designs? And, um, you know, I, I used to go to, uh, in London, Playtest UK mm -hmm. set up by a guy called Rob, really great network of people. Um, and through that, um, we knew this guy called Mandela, um, and he had a published game called Glasgow and Mandela loves making really, really tiny games. And I'm talking like tiny games that like fit into small, super small boxes. And one of the ones he presented to us was Vidimus, um, which was a game about making a uh, stained glass window. Um, mm. and we liked it. Um, and, uh, so we signed it and we thought, you know, Hey, this is perfect for us. This is, you know, it's just a deck of cards. This this will be, you know, super easy to do. You know, we're not expecting to make like millions or whatever, but like this is something we think is like achievable, you know, help build some confidence some trust in us, right? We're unknowns to, to like the Kickstarter audience because that's always what we've got in mind is like, how do we get this, make this successful on Kickstarter? Like we have yeah. to do that because 
because we're starting from nothing. And like, that's, that was the journey we had to go on. So, you know, we, um, we did, uh, overstops that was happened during the, uh, during the pandemic, basically the worst time you could think to launch a small card game on Kickstarter because paper prices went through the roof. Shipping was through the roof, doing small games, not very viable commercially. Like, you know, it didn't make us any money, but yeah. we learned a lot from it. And like, ultimately like we're still really proud of that game like it's a really great game um people that have played it like pretty much everyone that sits down to play it goes like oh this this was great I had a great time can i buy it yes um so we did that and we thought you know post that campaign we had to really look deeply at ourselves and go like okay how do we make our next game our next kickstarter successful because you know ultimately like you know myself i you know i work in i have a full-time job the other guys are freelance doing all their bits and bobs right like we all need to have an income and we couldn't keep putting in money to this company to keep it going you know being really super candid with you right like this is the reality of this we've seen so many companies fall away like in board games because like people are like trying to run a business and like don't have like all that knowledge but like they've made it their full-time job and like it's super stressful and there's one of them and it's like ah you know I find us like, you know, I think we're quite lucky in some respects that like we do have other jobs and that we are learning from other industries and that, you know, when we come to do this, this is kind of our side project, our kind of hustle. And like maybe one day it does become the main thing, but like certainly going into this project, going into my favorite things and stream railway, what we were looking for was, you know, we want to make this company successful long-term. We want to be able to fund the next project from this project. How do we achieve that? We want to look at games that have, you know, uh, an inbuilt audience, right? Like it was really hard for us and we we had to let a couple people down, right? Like we had signed original games and we had to let those people down and say, look, we don't think we're the right fit for this. We're sorry. We've like spent some time on this. We've been trying to like develop it, think about it, that sort of stuff. And we realized like ultimately from our position as like a new publisher, it's so much harder for us to do something that we're trying to achieve. Like I say, trying to buck those Kickstarter trends. We're not trying to do big box of minis. We're trying to do interesting, interactive, old school kind of games in a way. Yeah. Though they're so much harder to make those viable on Kickstarter. So we had to let a couple of people down and go like, we don't think we're the right publisher for this. Like we've signed your game. We're sorry, have all the rights back. Like, you know, that we want to, we're going to try and pursue this thing. And like, it was just like a casual conversation of like, hey, maybe do you think we could like try and get the rights for some old games and maybe like see if there's still interest for them? And, you know, it just so happens like this off chance email that we'd sent, like, you know, so much luck is involved in this stuff as well. Like an off, you know, an an email going through the ether through BGG, like suddenly, oh yeah, interested in, you know, you can have the rights for this. Like, yeah, sure, no worries. And just, you know, a quick conversation um, in one respect gets, you know, we we had the rights for My Favorite Things quite early on. And we were like, I was still very worried, again, from like that boring operational product perspective, is that one game enough? And like one small game, we already know from our past experience, isn't good for Kickstarter. So how we need something else to complement that. Why isn't and it good for you- Kickstarter? It is, I want for audience so they know. Sure, like, yeah. So, I mean, like, partly, I mean, I, I will say, like, for us, the biggest impact, we're UK-based, biggest impact for us, shipping. Mm. Shipping is killer. And, yeah. like, for, if you take, for example, our game Overstocked, right? Overstocked is, like, this big. And yeah. it's, like, we we charged 
16 pounds, like it's $20, something like that, um, for that game. To ship that game probably costs about the same amount. Yep. And no, no one wants to play that. Like the whole the hard fact is, like, if I tell you this is $30 plus $5 shipping, or if I tell you this is $35 and free shipping, which option are you going to choose? Yeah. Right. There's a psychological thing there. People are always going to go for that of free shipping. And partly that's like Amazon, right? Amazon has created that problem where like people expect yeah. next next day shipping and free. And like Amazon are able to take that hit, right? They're able to just absorb that cost. But like yeah. for a small company like us, like that is crushing. And you know, we you know, so we're subsidizing shipping. Like we make it clear on all our campaigns, we're subsidizing shipping, but it's still expensive. And like again, this is why you know we were having this conversation even just you know, post-launch of this campaign where we'd already been successful. We'd, we'd made more in this our new campaign in the first two hours than we ever did in our entire first campaign. Yeah. And then we were still looking at the numbers going, I don't know if we're going to make it. Yeah. Right. Because it's, it's crazy. Cause even beyond the shipping, if you look at the acquisition cost, right. So if you're going to do any marketing at all, which is oh, usually going to yeah. be Facebook. I haven't even ads. included any of that. Yeah. yeah, 100%. yeah. So the yeah. numbers, so people know, like you're looking at anywhere from 17 to $22 per backer. Right in in marketing mm-hmm. costs. By the time the person people are like, oh, your ad shouldn't cost that much. Well, say your ad costs two dollars. Uh, by the time they're they're going and they're signing up to your 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 page to say, yeah, I want to be notified when this launches. Okay, but then only one in every ten of those people actually fall through to the end of the campaign to you know put their credit card down and, and buy the game. That look at that math. That's seventeen to twenty two dollars uh, acquisition cost. So when you start adding, you know, say twenty dollars to keep it clean. Add another twenty dollars shipping on top. Of that, that's forty dollars. Then your manufacturing costs say ten, fifteen dollars. You're like at fifty, fifty-five dollars uh, on the game before you've made any money at all, right? So it's these small box games are absolute uh, killers when it comes to uh, the economics on Kickstarter, and um, in, unless you can do such massive, massive quantities, then it makes sense. But again, that's like a you know one in a million kind of thing where you're gonna have a campaign that's gonna do like a million dollars on a small box game, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Don't get me wrong; like there are people doing like really innovative stuff, right? Like there are the guys, yeah. the post postmark guys who are doing like one dollar, one pound, whatever it is, for like you know a print at home, roll and write, amazing, yeah. ingenious, like so clever. They've made a load of money. But like, yeah, you know, games too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I back some but, of them, yeah. yeah, but like that's not including like you know they still have to design those things. They still have to you know do the art for them, the graphic design, all that sort of stuff. Like that's all sunk cost before you've got to that point, right? Like you know I, I've you know spoken to people at playtests and things like that who like you know they're like oh I, I just want to like I want to make my own game, I want to publish it, blah blah blah. I'm like be prepared to sink a load of money into it and it yeah. not get a return. Like if you just want to do this for fun great that's awesome like do that please do that because it won't cost you everything but like you know if you want to try and make like a you know a business function you you have to look at the numbers really hard and like certainly going into this campaign we were like we need this to be a success otherwise we we can't really continue and like that's the brutal truth of it that's the reality of it and we didn't want to be in the position like other companies where like you know throwing no shade uh this is just a thing that happens right the realities of like particularly during lockdowns, things like that, like, you know, companies had, you know, done a Kickstarter, ran a Kickstarter, got some funding for X, people had paid shipping for X. Now this is costing so much more, like three times as much, 
you know, fortunately like that for us, like that's gone down now, but like certainly at its peak, like that was horrific, like trying to oh, ship yeah. stuff and everything like that. Like, and like, ultimately like that's, that's your bottom line right there. That's like, that's you not just like making a bit of profit, like, oh, this assuming it's going to be profitable. It's no, no, no. That's you trying to make the next thing, trying to like keep the company afloat, just existing costs money, right? Like going to conventions, Hey, people are wearing t-shirts. That's money. People want food. That's money. Like yeah. everything you do costs money as a business. And I don't mean to, yeah, I'm trying to make this sound like super yeah. boring. And like, like, <laughs> Not doom know. and gloom, but well, yeah. here's, the, here's the positive is let's talk about this campaign. Cause I mean, if oh. I'm putting, I'm going to put this in Canadian dollars, cause it's the only way I can mm-hmm. see it. Uh, but you're at like 99,256. You're almost at a hundred grand here uh, in Canadian dollars. Oh, well, that uh, sounds amazing. Right to, let's keep yeah, on Canadian dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you're over 1,585 backers. You got 52 hours to go. Uh, so congrats on that. I mean, you guys got to be very happy with uh, the funding you've got so far. And we're entering that kind of back end hockey stick. So those numbers are now just going to like shoot up in the last 48 hours. For those who don't know about these two games, can you give us a quick overview of my favorite things and then follow that with an overview of uh, String Railway? Yeah, 100%. So uh, my favorite things is a trick-taking party game. So uh, originally by a Japanese designer, it was only like available at Essen for like one year in like 2018, no, maybe before like 2015, something like that. Um, and essentially what you do is you have uh, a set of cards, uh, number uh, one to five, and then one that's like a zero, or in our case, like a broken heart. And the idea is you write a category of something you want someone to rank. So for example, it might be, uh, favorite Lord of the Rings characters or, you know, favorite TV shows, whatever. So you write that on your one card, you hand over all the other cards to the player to your left. They then write down like their favorite TV shows. So like number one is like Game of Thrones. Number two is um, something else. <laughs> yeah. And then um, then on the that broken heart, that zero, they write one they don't like. And then you don't see the numbers that they've assigned to those. You get those cards back and then everyone will have done the same. So everyone else will have a different category. So you'll have things like comparing like, I don't know, uh, favorite TV shows to favorite actors, to favorite video games, to favorite like board games, whatever it is. Um, And everyone has this like list of stuff uh, that is in a hand of cards and then you're playing tricks. So you're trying to win the tricks with that lowest number. So the lowest number being like the top ranked one. Um, and then the Trump is actually the broken heart. So that's how you can mm. like beat, beat the one is with that Trump with that broken heart. Um, so it's like super interactive, super funny, like really great way to like get to know people. Like we've opened up a poll on the, uh, on the Kickstarter, a little survey to like get more category suggestions from people. Yeah. Um, because it is completely free form. You can write whatever you want, but like people sometimes need a bit of a hand in like, what's a good example. So like, you know, some of the really spicy ones are like, you know, people at this table. Uh, just rank them. <laughs> uh, you know, your exes, rank them. Uh, Aaron is the worst. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so it, you play two rounds. You go once to the left, once to the right. And for each trick you win, you get a little heart. And whoever has the most hearts wins. So, yeah, super interactive. Really great. Um, party game. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, so that's, string, that's uh, my favorite thing. Uh, my favorite things. String Railway Collection uh, is actually two games. Uh, so both designed by Hisashi Hayashi. The first one is String Railway, which is perhaps a bit better known. It um, used to come in like a long box, mm-hmm. um, an asthma-dated version of it. And uh, they tried to make it like very Japanese-themed. So it was all bullet trains and uh, like Japanese train stations. But it kind of doesn't really fit the vibe of the game because like 
you're making train lines with string. So like mm-hmm. it feel it feels more like old school kind of like chug chug chug. I think I can. I know I can. Sort of trains as opposed to bullet trains. Um, so we've kind of like taken the artwork to that sort of place of making it like a bit more rural and sort of homely. Um, and uh, yeah, the game's super simple. You're just drawing a station putting it down, connecting with string, all the tr- stations like score differently. So you get different points depending on where the station is, depending on how many st- stations you connect with your string, that kind of thing. So that's, yeah, super great, great gateway game. Super like people get it instantly because it's like so intuitive. And again, super interactive because it's like where you place your string is super essential because you're lo- using the table space as your world. So like, you know, oh, I'm going to put this string right over here in front of you. Now you're blocked in essentially. Um, so you have to either try and circumvent them or you go over them. But if you go over another string, you lose a point. So there's like, you know, this this fun dynamic of like your points are changing dynamically, like yeah. round to round. Um, and, and then, then the, the other game that's included within that is uh, String Railway Cube. So what, what's that about? Yeah, so String Railway Cube was originally called String Railway Transport. Um, and it takes the same uh, sort of core components. So it's string and uh, tiles, which are stations. But the difference is this game is more of a set collection, pick up and deliver. So stations will have um, different cubes on them and you're trying to deliver those cubes via your string. So it's then about creating like a super efficient network of like, okay, I need to get this cube from here and then to here and then to here. And then I want to get this cube over here to here, to here, to here. So uh, it's super brain burning like it's much more of like a step up in like complexity um i'm terrible at it um <laughs> but uh but again super interactive um and just like really steps up that challenge and that so you know when all this essentially added to some degree is is cubes and some different stations um but yeah so we thought like you know it's string railway cubes uh, as transport hadn't been as successful as string railway um and sort of uh Tom Vassell's uh, take was, you know, both of these games are really good, but you don't really need to own both. So we've gone, well, now you can, because we put both yeah. in the same box. So, you know, depending on that group, right? Like it's a great like gateway game. And then like you take that same gateway game, see your friends who are like, oh, we're kind of like maybe getting into some more difficult games now. We're kind of going up that curve, getting into like board games a bit more. Well, okay, now you've still got this other game that you haven't even explored, which does ramp up that difficulty, that complexity that like, you know, gives you for both kind of, those different kinds of friendship groups, which, you know, is something I always find uh, that with my friendship groups is that like, I have so many friends who are like not really into board games. So I introduced them like the really gateway stuff, the really approachable yep. stuff. And then I have that other group where like super hardcore, like won't play half the games that I want to play because they've already paid it and they've already dismissed it as boring or whatever. So like this game kind of fits those two dynamics, which is yeah. super great. So what do you guys like? So now you're, you're publishers, you're now in the publishing game. What comes next for you guys? Are you still taking submissions? Are you still pulling some of these earlier designs you're working on forward or kind of what's the plan? Yeah. So essentially what we want to keep doing is keep going on this trajectory. We want to go bigger, bolder, better. So um, what we're hoping to do is um, get some other games again, sort of past gems that maybe have like fallen out of favor that they're still interested in um, and kind of, bring them up to date, give them a new code paint. I can't really talk too much about exactly mm. what games we're going for, but we certainly do have some that we're like eyeing up and we're always playing some old games and scouring BGG for like lists of like, hey, what games are people interested in the reprint of? And, you know, we're not going to be like the restoration game sort of end of it, right? We're not going to be like blowing these things up to these massive boxes and stuff, but we're going to be like trying to keep those games that was like, 
maybe didn't you know underappreciate, didn't quite get its time to shine because like it looked like garbage or whatever. And like actually trying to like give it a really good coat of paint and say like hey, actually this game is super interesting and super fun and has maybe been a bit overlooked. And like now let's give it a second chance. Hopefully that that resonates with people. Oh, that's amazing. Well, for those who want to check out this campaign, you are entering your last uh, 48 hours. I'm going to put a link in the show notes so people can find it really easily. Uh, or if you just go on Kickstarter and you search uh, play for keeps is probably the easiest thing to search for to find. That's the easiest way I found you guys. Uh, check out the campaign. It looks super awesome. Uh, Paul, I can't wait to see where this ends up. I want to wish you all the best in this coming year. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. No worries. Take care. Thanks. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.